This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sunday night, June 6th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm looking at this sheet. It looks like we have about four shows in front of us. We are indeed jam-packed. It's only going to be one show tonight. And my word to you and the control room in Connecticut and Nashville, we won't go an hour. But we do have a lot to talk about. So thank you so much for being here. Have you guys been watching, by the way, the college baseball, the women's college World Series and softball? I'm going to be in Oklahoma City this week, by the way. I'm headed out there for the World Series. That's how captivated I am by it. The crowds are insane. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because I think it's just a small precursor, just a little taste little preview as we enter the summer months of what college football is going to be like this fall. Insanity. Purely wild. Renaissance year. Going to talk about all that tonight. So on this show, I'm going to give you some SEC West swing games. Basically by swing game, that equals the game where when you get to December and the dust is settled, you look back and you say, that's the game that determined this. If your season went off the rails, it was because of this game. If you exceeded expectation, it's also because of this game. So we're going to discuss that. We've also got a proposal that I think a lot of you in happy Valley need to listen to, but also it extends well beyond Penn State and it applies to the entire country. If you're an athletic director all the way down to just a season ticket holder or a fan that just likes to sit at home on the couch and watch on Saturday, I think there may be a little different way we need to go about 2021 because of what 2020 was like. We shall discuss. Speaking of discussing, what if I told you that a Pac-12 head coach openly ripped his conference and their TV partners this week and chances are you don't even know about it. 80% of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, it was notable, and we will discuss it on this show. And JT Tuomaloa, the number one recruit in America. We don't talk a ton of individual recruiting on this show. When we do, uh, you can rest assured it matters. It matters nationally. This one matters nationally. We got some intel. I probably have a little bit further to go in terms of prediction on his recruitment than I ever have. I don't make a ton of recruiting predictions. I don't even enter crystal balls on 247sports.com. But I have uh, done a little digging today. Talked to a number of hashtag inside sources, not JTT himself, although he was on the signing day show, so we have spoken to him recently, but I'm going to touch on all that. I want to thank you because our numbers continue to surge, even in what everyone else calls the dead period for college football media content, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram and Twitter. I have just decided, if we want to put out some numbers there that we want to reach, let's get that Instagram account to 10K, let's get that Twitter account to 20K before the season starts. If you want to go past that, feel free. But at Late Kick Josh, we're going to be doing a lot of things on those platforms that are unique to those platforms and probably more to come in that department. So just stay tuned there. And also, hey, as we dive in, the YouTube channel went over 50,000 subs. We're 14 months in on this thing. Director Colin and I essentially walked in here about 14 months ago and said, oh, look at the YouTube channel. It's got cobwebs on it. Well, let's do something on it. And then this show was born. No one told us to do the show. We just got started doing it. And we locked ourselves in here and essentially said, no one interfere with us. And then we created the show. And now you guys have made the show what it is today. So thank you. So let's dive in because we got a whole lot to get to. I wanted to talk about swing games. And I want to start in the SEC West, but we're going to go all over the country with this. A swing game is the game that's going to be most 
most responsible for how your season plays out. And I got one of them for every team here. And so let's just dive right in. Let's start at the top with Alabama. Now you may just automatically think, oh, it's the biggest game every team plays, right? Not necessarily. So you look at the season win totals that Jesse's showing you on the screen. And these are, of course, out of Vegas. But Alabama sitting there at 11 and a half. So <laughs> the under hits if they don't go undefeated, in other words. And I guess their most competitive game, when you look at their schedule, would be Texas A&M from a raw point spread metric. But I did not pick the Texas A&M game. So let's dive into this. For Alabama, I think it's Ole Miss. They come into Tuscaloosa. It's a week five game. I think it'll certainly be the biggest test for Alabama's defense all year. Now, they will have already played Florida. They will have played Miami in Atlanta in week one. Uh, but just like last year, up until the SEC championship game, and maybe you guys even count the SEC title game, no offense and no quarterback out there pushed Alabama defensively more than Ole Miss and Matt Corral. So I look forward to that. It's also obviously Ole Miss's chance to just shock the college football world. But Alabama, it's also your first chance to find out what the balance and the makeup of that team is going to be. Because you're going to look at them defensively, as am I, and you're going to say they are very much improved this year. I think they will be. Here's the question, though. Will we for sure find that out against Miami? For that matter, will we for sure find that out against Florida? We will for sure find that out against Ole Miss. And so this is the week before Alabama plays Texas A&M. I uh, tell you, if you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times, some of these big teams that have a game they're favored in before their big one, and it just goes deeper into the third quarter, deeper into the fourth quarter. You end up playing 96 plays, and then you're dead leg the following week. Just keep an eye on that. How about Arkansas? Number of options here, because they play in the SEC West, obviously. But for Arkansas, I chose the Auburn game. It's at home. It's in Fayetteville. It's week seven. It's huge for Arkansas. This is one of only three conference home games, true home games, that they have all year because they give up that one game to play A&M in, in Arlington. This is a stretch here for Arkansas where they face Texas A&M and they go to Georgia and they go to Ole Miss. Now, because that A&M game's in Arlington, I want you to think about what they're doing there. That's three road games. It's, it's a neutral site game technically to start it, but it's, it's in Dallas against A&M. So it's in Dallas, then it is in Athens, then it's in Oxford, and then they finally get to come home for the first time in the better part of a month, and they face Auburn. This may be a game where Auburn's a short favorite. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but it's a game that people at Arkansas are going to expect to win. It's a first-year staff at Auburn. They also are keenly aware at Arkansas of how this game ended last year. One of the Mm, I was highway robbery on the part of the conference. Let's just state it like it is. And so this is going to be really uh, much much of a get-back game. But also, I almost picked this as Auburn swing game, too. I didn't, though, and I'm going to tell you why actually right now. For Auburn swing game, I went with their trip to LSU in week five. I think we're tentatively scheduled to go to this game. They've got Alabama and Georgia at home this year, do the Auburn Tigers. I want you to think about how wild Auburn's schedule is when I tell you they've got Bama at home and Georgia at home, and they are still going to play three road games in venues of over 100,000 people. This is going to be one of them. They will have already played at Penn State, and they also go to Texas A&M this year. Now, this is an interesting spot, because if you want to pick a spot where Auburn could shock the world. They certainly will be an underdog point spread wise in this game, but two factors that they could have going for them here. Number one, they will have already played at Penn State. So they will have already played in an insane environment, 107 plus thousand people up there. So theoretically, this environment should not shake you and rattle you to your core. You've already experienced something very similar. That's point one. Point two is if you look at LSU's schedule to this point, LSU will have faced UCLA. Uh, they will have faced McNeese, Central Michigan, Mississippi State, none of those teams are just going to line up and run the ball right at them. Auburn is. So here's what you 
could have. You could have a situation where maybe LSU is a little bit more vulnerable to that raw offensive physicality than it appears they are, and maybe that gives you an outside sort of puncher's chance because of that. This is also Brian Harson's first SEC game period at Auburn, and obviously it's on the road. Speaking of the LSU Tigers, let's make their swing game at Ole Miss in Week 8. This, to me, is the scariest game on LSU's schedule until the Bama game. LSU folks are going to look at their schedule. Up to this point, they're going to expect to be 7-0. But if you are an unbiased observer and you just go by power rating, you go by what uh, spreads on games will be, you could also look at their schedule and say they've got five losable games before the Ole Miss game. So is it going to be 7-0? Is it going to be 2-5? Is it going to be 5-2? Is it going to be you know somewhere in between? Well, I don't know. But let's just say best case is happening. Let's say they're 7-0. That will mean, as I pull up my trusty grid schedule in front of me, that will mean LSU has gone to Los Angeles and They've beaten UCLA. Uh, They've taken care of two teams they should take care of. So that means they've beaten Mississippi State, and they've beaten Auburn, and they've gone to Kentucky and won, and they've beaten Florida. And if they've done all that, I think maybe the 50,000-foot perspective would say certainly they should be able to take care of Ole Miss. I think that discounts Ole Miss a lot. But I also think it ignores one potential problem, and that is the quarterback position, and that's offense. This is the seventh game in seven weeks for LSU, and it's also a situation where you have not had your your defense stressed like it's going to be stressed. And Ole Miss is going to do that to everyone all year. They're going to do it to Bama. They're going to do it to Auburn. But this is a spot because if LSU can make it through this, they go into the bye and then they got the Bama game obviously coming up after the bye. But this one's going to determine ultimately how that season shakes out for LSU. How about Texas A&M? I don't think there's any way to beat around the bush here. The biggest swing game of the year for Texas A&M is against Alabama in week six. The mentality in College Station, and I'm pretty sure I agree with it at this point, is if we don't beat Alabama, how much improvement can we really say we've had? Because they've done everything else at this point. I mean, they've they've risen as a program to the point where I think they're the number two program in the West. That could change in a given year, but entering this season, I think that's where they are. They were on the fringes of the playoff conversation all year last year, but they got smoked by Alabama. So everything else kind of didn't matter. They got smoked by Bama, and unfortunately, that keeps you out of Atlanta, and it also keeps you out of the playoff. Well, they got Bama with a new quarterback, new offensive line, wide receiver core, running back, offensive coordinator, all that, and you get them at home this year, and you get it under the lights. So, It is reasonable for a Texas A&M fan to say, if not this year, then when? It's kind of like that Florida-Georgia deal last year. That's what they were saying in Gainesville. Maybe they're saying that in College Station this year. This is the swing game. Alabama under the lights, in Kyle Field, full house. I mean, that's what 2021 is about for Texas A&M. So I'm saying there are only two scenarios here as far as they're concerned. Either they, they, they win the West and they go to Atlanta, or they still have a really good year, but because of that Bama game, they're on the outside looking in again. This game's going to determine which of those paths they go down. Ole Miss. I had probably the most trouble here because Ole Miss has a stretch of games. <laughs> Listen to this stretch. So from week five on, Ole Miss goes at Alabama, Arkansas, at Tennessee, LSU, at Auburn, Liberty, yeah, and Texas A&M. Okay, that's tough. That's seven games in a row. They're really, really tough. So out of all these games, I picked the game at Tennessee in week seven as the swing game for Ole Miss. So if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're reasonable, I think you look at this stretch. You won't be favorite Bama. You'll be short favorites against Arkansas. Uh, You should be a short favorite at Tennessee. LSU at home, going to be iffy. At Auburn, going to be iffy. Liberty at home is no slam dunk at all. And then Texas A&M at home. So you're either an underdog or a very short favorite in all these games. Five and two would be wonderful. Four and three would be successful. But if you're going to achieve either of those, you certainly 
have to go to Tennessee and win. You can't be going to Tennessee and losing and then saying, oh, we'll make up for it when we play LSU or Texas A&M. That's probably not how you can count on that working out. So the game at Tennessee, that is Ole Miss's biggest swing game. And lastly, Mississippi State. I got a sneaky game here that I don't think we've really talked about a lot, but it's in week five, and it's the game at Texas A&M. So I want you to think last year, it was kind of an off-the-radar contest. Mississippi State was badly outmanned. They had a roster situation that had them down into like the upper 40s on scholarship players when they went to Georgia. And it was a one-possession game. Folks thought Georgia was going to blow them off the field, and they went in there and they were very competitive. I think they should have been very proud when they left Athens that day. And I say that because of what we have here. We've seen them go on the road being badly outmanned and more than hold their own against the nation's elite. So this This year, in week five, I think this is one of the sneakiest spots on the entire SEC schedule. Mississippi State going into College Station, it's a pure ambush opportunity for Mike Leach and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They handled themselves well at Georgia last year, and let me tell you, where this falls for Texas A&M is right between a game against Arkansas in Dallas and the home game against Alabama. And in between those two, here comes Mississippi State. Put, put, put. Are they even going to fly in there? Are they going to take a couple of buses in here? What time we got to play this game? You yawn before you get the answer. It's that kind of game, potentially. And it's the kind of game that Mike Leach has been known to leverage as, again, one of those shock the world type situations. So that one's going to be very interesting. And I can, I can tell you, go ahead, bet your bottom dollar. Not many people are going to be circling that one. Even when they're talking about trap games, not many people are going to be circling that one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, let's roll on. Swing games. We are not done with that by any stretch. We'll, we'll be able to take that to a lot of other conferences. All right, I want to I wanna reset the scene here because we're not talking about scheduling anymore from that viewpoint, but we are talking about scheduling. So Penn State's got a fun dilemma on their hands, and the dilemma is which game do we do the whiteout for? If you're a college football fan, especially a Penn State fan, you know what this is all about. You turn it on, it's a pure spectacle. If you were taking an agnostic sports fan and you were trying to sell them on college football, if you're watching on YouTube, what Jesse's showing you right now is what you would show that agnostic sports fan. And you would sell this to them as why you should be a college football fan. The whiteout environment at Penn State, I've never even witnessed, and I know it's incredible. Now, selfishly, I'm about to try and work this segment in a manner in which we set up a situation where we can go experience it on our terms this year. But the the whole dilemma at Penn State is they're looking at their schedule. We're going to show you the schedule in a little while, but they're looking at their schedule this year, and they got an Auburn game at home in week three. Now, that's, that's weird. Obviously, that's an SEC team coming in there. It's one of the big boys in the SEC. You just don't get that that all that often. So there's one line of thinking that says, let's make that the whiteout game. It's early in the year. It's imperative that we get off to a fast start. And so the Michigan game's in the middle of the year. It's on down the road. If we haven't gotten off to a fast start, 
all that could be irrelevant anyway. Let's get an SEC scalp on our wall early in the year. It's their first season with a new head coach. That quarterback's going to be rattled up here. It could be one of those situations where they have to take a timeout with 15 minutes to go in the first quarter, which actually happened against Michigan a couple of years ago. So that's one line of thinking. The other line of thinking is, no, let's save the wideout game for a big conference opponent, which will be Michigan. And so we should be able to take care of Auburn. We should be a good enough team. I mean, we're uh, several years into the James Franklin regime here. It's Brian Harson, year one. They don't know what they have. The environment alone up here, regardless of what color t-shirts we wear, it should take care of Auburn. Now, I am a big believer that this season gives you a perfect excuse to just find a happy medium, a compromise here, if you will. So I'm reading DJ Hoyt's work the other day. He writes for MidwestCFB.com, and he presented an alternative. And I had sort of been thinking along these lines with this season in general, but he nailed it down for Penn State, and he put out an alternative to this dilemma that I think is right on the money. So let me kind of sell you on this. I've spoken often about the fact that 2021 should be a renaissance year for college football. That's absolutely the way it should be looked at. It is not normal. It should not be normal. It is a return to normal, but because it's a return from something you were starved out of last year, it's going to be incredible coast to coast. If you're a Penn State fan, your conference almost took a season away from you last year, and they certainly took the ability for you to watch your team in person away from you last year. Now, that was out of your hands. What's in your hands is your ability to determine how your schedule and your in-stadium environment is going to play out this year. Do everything within your power to get back what you lost last year. That's my theory on how college football programs in general should handle 2021. What does it mean for Penn State? Well, stop debating whether you should white out the Auburn game or the Michigan game. White them both out. Just have two whiteouts this year. And if you want to talk about tradition and you want to talk about how, no, it's tradition, we just do one of them. That's cool. And we can return to it in 2022. But correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't get one last year. Your season went off the rails, period. You almost didn't even have a season. And what you did have was not anything to write home about. Give me the whiteout that I missed last year, this year. And picture this. We announce tomorrow, for all I care, we're going to white out the Auburn game. Then we get into the year. And we get towards that Michigan week. Imagine the Monday of that Michigan week. You already got the whiteout in the rearview mirror. No one's even thinking about it. And all of a sudden, there's that video. Penn State Twitter. Put it out. Monday morning, 8 a.m. Michigan. Saturday. Whiteout. Be there. I will be there. This is how I think this should be handled. Now, there are many opinions out there on this. The the only opinions that truly count are Penn State opinions. Even as I'm sitting here telling you, now technically I'm wearing a white shirt so I feel qualified to talk about this, but even though I'm sitting here telling you this, it's just my opinion. The ones that count are the ones in, well, the stadium, but just in the Penn State fan base in general. So. I'm looking at their schedule, and you know, you could make the argument either way. It should be either or, or you could be on my side and say it should be both. But if you look at their schedule, Jesse, I think we may have it. If we don't, I have it in front of me. They go to Wisconsin in week one. A very losable game, obviously. There it is. Then they got Ball State. Then they got the Auburn game in week three. Another very losable game. Villanova. A lot of you didn't know they had a football team until we showed this the other day. Yes, Nova does have a football team. And then they go against Indiana. Losable. At Iowa. Losable. Illinois at home. And then at Ohio State. Very losable at Maryland. So my point here when I'm saying losable, 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 I mean, realistically, if we get, what, nine games into the year, because that Michigan game comes November 13th. If we get that deep in the season and Penn State's five and four, no one really cares either way about this conversation within the broader context. But if Penn State's eight and one, 
then imagine the aforementioned scenario. We've whited out the Auburn game. Maybe we won the Auburn game, and then we get, we get there coming out of that Maryland game. We've licked our wounds, or maybe, hey, maybe we beat Ohio State, and then everything's on the table. But even if we lost at Ohio State, there's no shame in that. It'll be a, probably a double-digit favorite against us, but if we got off the deck and we righted the ship and we beat Maryland, and let's say we're 8-1 and one or 7-2, and two, there's a lot still on the table for us, and we got Michigan reeling, and they're coming in here and we wipe that game out, boy, I would be so on board with that. There's pushback. The pushback would have to do with tradition. I, I just, I'm all about tradition. You guys who watch or listen to this program a lot, you know it. I'm the last dude in the world to start throwing out all these changes and want to overturn 20% of the sport every year, except when it comes to 2021. 2021 in college football is where every one of you who have ever sketched out some ideas on a napkin or a pizza box, but then you've crossed them out and you said, yeah, but I mean, we can't actually do that. No, this year, you need to erase it you need to undo it, and you need to take all those ideas and implement them. This is the one year to do everything you've always wanted to do, but you were just a little bit too hesitant to do it because of tradition or whatever the case may be. Return to tradition in 2022. 2021 should essentially be a 12-week party for college football. Now, it's funny that the last phrase there was party for college football. Anything but has been happening on the West Coast this week. Here's a nice end cut for you, Colin. What if I told you a Pac-12 coach just totally ripped his conference this week and ripped their TV partners, and it didn't even make so much as a ripple across the college football landscape. I'm not making it up. It actually happened. David Shaw, who is the head coach at Stanford, did an interview with The Athletic. We're going to show you a quote in just a second from, well, several quotes from this interview, but uh, he was very animated. It was very un-David Shaw-like, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, you picture David Shaw, and he's got kind of a, he's got the opposite of what the kids would call RBF. He's got a resting smile. It's just, that's kind of the way David Shaw always looks. I don't think he's ever yelled in his life. Well, he did this week. And so here's the context before we get to the quotes. Stanford is opening the season against Kansas State. They are going to play the game in Dallas. I'll go down the TV rabbit hole in just a second for you, but the context is they got to play that game at noon Eastern. Not a big deal if you live in Manassas, Virginia. They don't. They're out in the Bay Area in California. And so I had our stats and info department run the numbers. And if you subtract three hours from noon, you get 9 a.m. Yes, yeah, 9 a.m. And that's tough to play a football game at 9 a.m. and they're going to have to do it. So with that in mind, let's take a look at what David Shaw had to say to The Athletic. Again, I want to I want to stress this was not our interview. The Athletic had this interview this week. And this is what David Shaw had to say. So he's talking to, I believe it was Stuart Mandel. And he says, I'm pissed at Fox for our kickoff time against Kansas State. For Stanford in particular and Oregon to be going in a different time zone and give us an early kickoff to me, it's incredibly disrespectful. It shows a lack of understanding of what we have to do. And and the way that different time zones truly affect us. It shows a lack of care for our student athletes. That to me is something that is egregious, love that word, and I don't care who I piss off, but I think they're wrong and a lot of our people in our conference are upset too. He continues, they being Fox, they can say whatever they want to. I don't want to hear blank about, oh, it's great for ratings. I don't care about ratings. This is either complete disregard or lack of understanding about how difficult it is to be a West Coast team and travel East and get forced to play an early kickoff game. So I'll tell you, I was at the gym just a little while ago and I never fully stopped sweating. So I got to fan myself for a second after that. Have you ever heard David Shaw talk like that? I don't know of anyone else out there I've heard talk like that. I mean, we got a lot of Pac-12 folks who watch the show. 
I just got to fan myself. I'm taken aback. I couldn't believe I read that. Out of all the coaches out there, if you were to take smart money on who was going to give that, if Cristobal was talking like that, I could see that, man. Cristobal's a fiery guy. It was David Shaw. David Shaw is a guy that, you know, if I had to go into therapy, I'd want him to be sitting right there in the table when I'm on the couch because I think David Shaw could talk me off the ledge. Instead, dude, David Shaw's all, he's the aggressor all of a sudden on the West Coast. So what is this all about? Let's dive into this. Here's the deal. Pac-12 coaches get it. Pac-12 coaches aren't idiots. Their football product out there as a whole has been inferior for a little while. The interest level as a result is down. That affects everything across the board. Again, they're not stupid. They get what the deal is. They want to change it, but they get what the deal is. The recruiting has been affected. You got a lot of kids leaving the West Coast that they think should be staying home, but there's not a good enough reason to keep them home. Better on-field results, better football. That's the only fix. The thing about a guy like David Shaw, or Mario Cristobal, or Herm Edwards, or the like, is they believe if they could snap their fingers and start today on equal footing, they could fix the problem. Their biggest fear is their conference has dug such a collective hole out there that it's impossible, even at their best, to climb out of it. Now, I want you to put yourself in that position, and then I want you to imagine they say, oh, by the way, start games at 9 a.m., your time. We talked about this on this show two years ago. At the time, I wasn't even at 24-7. We were down in a studio in Columbus, Georgia, and out of all the people on planet Earth to be talking about Pac-12 football TV deals, we seemed the least equipped. But you could see this coming two years ago. In 2019, 2018, I guess is when they inked the deal, Fox announced what is called, what do they call it? The uh, Big Noon Package. I thought it was a great idea and a terrible idea. I knew it was going to be a winner for television purposes because I thought the noon window had started to be underutilized and it had been that way for several years. It used to be all the big games were at noon and 3.30. You guys know this if you watch the sport for any length of time. But then college football started shifting its prime games to prime time. And so then it became very enviable to, to be playing games in prime time. Well, nowadays a bulk of the games are played in prime time. I mean, Mississippi State and Arkansas playing in prime time, that never would have been a 7 o'clock or 7.30 kickoff this time, you know, two decades ago, but it is now. Well, Fox looked at it and said, how do we distinguish ourselves? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take our A game and we're going to put it at noon Eastern. Now, if you're a Wisconsin football fan, you don't love playing at 11 a.m., but you kind of get it. Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, those games have been at 11 a.m. Local time. For them, it's noon Eastern. We all work off the Eastern time zone for TV purposes, as evil as you think that ideology may be. Well, if you're on the West Coast, this doesn't fly for you. Doesn't fly at all. So it was going to be great for TV, we called it, and it was going to be terrible for teams. We called that. Five out of the top ten games, ratings-wise, in 2019 were those noon games. No one's looking to change this formula. For everyone who tells you ratings are falling off a cliff and they use 2020 as their convenient straw man, tell them to hit the rewind button one more year and go back and look at 2019 when numbers were up across the board, literally across the board. So yeah, sports dying. Listen to it, just gasping over here. Why is David Shaw the angriest guy in the room? That's really what he wants to know. Like I guarantee you, David Shaw spoke his mind and he's established enough where he felt comfortable enough doing it. But David Shaw probably spoke his mind and in the back of his mind thought, why am I the one doing this? Like out of all the folks who are going to just yell out here like an angry old man, why am I the one doing it? Why is everyone not in unison about this? Because I guarantee you, David Shaw's not lying to you when he says there are a lot of people out here aggravated about it. Of course there are. Of course there are. The problem is, and this is where it gets into the weeds for TV, and this is where you can't really do anything about it if you're David Shaw, and that's what has you upset. The problem is this whole West Coast teams having to play 9 a.m. local time kickoffs, it's college football's version of the NFL's 
Thursday night football. You know, like football teams to you and I are just that. They are football teams full of players and support staff and strength and conditioning, nutrition, head coach, coordinators, etc. I mean, that's what college football is to us. To a TV executive, college football is just inventory. Your quarterback and your wide receiver, they might as well be actors and actresses for all those folks care. A TV executive who would probably dislocate his jaw trying to buckle a chin strap looks at the Stanford Cardinal and says, you're a TV product. We got shelves over here and you are part of the inventory we're putting on those shelves. And when you play Kansas State, I couldn't care less if you play it in a parking lot at 9 p.m. or in Dallas, Texas at noon Eastern time. I just need you on the field because that's how we make money. Does that make you feel like you need to take a shower after you hear it? Yeah. Me too. But that's the way it is. I don't care about your travel. I don't care about your hydration, your body clock, your um, your sleep patterns. None of that really matters. And so you could be one of two ways here. You could either look at it and say, well, they signed a $250 million collective deal a few years ago, and therefore that gives these TV networks every contractual right to do this. And the $250 million, that's very healthy for the conference overall. And on the surface, I can't argue with that. But again, will would we collectively say Pac-12 football has gotten better or worse? over the last few years. I don't think that there is the biggest Pac-12 homer on the face of the planet that would argue better. And so long-term, what's best for the health of the conference? Here's the unfortunate part. The part of the country in terms of college football that's struggling the most, therefore featuring the least leverage when they enter these TV negotiations, is also the conference and the portion of the country that is the worst positioned from a TV standpoint. It's always been this way. I used to, I grew up an Atlanta Braves fan, and I remember when we would go play LA or San Diego or San Francisco, I thought to myself, it's insane that they make us stay up to 10 o'clock. It's past my bedtime. I didn't even get to watch Braves games on the West Coast when I was a kid because they didn't, first pitch wasn't until 10-10 in the TBS days or 10-40. And so I remember thinking, I feel like a victim. There's no way I should have to deal with this. Then someone explained to me one day, yeah, uh, well, here's the thing. You know when LA's in town and they play a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the Friday game's at 7 o'clock? That's a 4 o'clock first pitch for them on Friday. No one's even off work yet. And on Saturday, when you got the 110 game on Fox, guess what? They're eating bacon and eggs out there and watching it because it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And then when you got the Sunday getaway, then it's 12 o'clock first pitch or whatever the case may be, they're playing that thing at 9 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. And then I didn't feel like such a victim anymore. So the West Coast folks, sports fans at least, have always dealt with this. I know that there is another train of thought here. A lot of you may have listened to David Shaw whine and complain, and that's exactly what you think it is, whining and complaining. You may tell him, just deal with it. You know, you're not a volunteer. You are getting paid millions of dollars. Guys are getting free education, blah, blah, blah. It's a first world problem. All that's true. Yes, it's true. But you know, when we calibrate for the fact that, you know, we all understand we're playing college football here, it is a tough situation for Pac-12 teams to be in. And again, this would be a tough situation if you were the best college football conference in America. Uh, They're dragging behind significantly. So not only are they being asked to compete, they're asking to make up ground and they're being put behind the eight ball in a lot of ways trying to do it. All right, let's wrap the show up with this. Uh, JT Tumaloa, the very latest on this recruitment. It's a big deal, first off. You know it's a big deal because we don't talk a lot of individual recruitments on late kick, but JT Tumaloao is the exception to the rule. He's the number one player overall in this last recruiting class. So it's imperative that I stress, if you're a casual college football fan, what's happening here? This is not a 2022 kid. JTT will be playing on a campus somewhere this fall. He's still in high school right now. He's about to graduate, but he is the only unsigned prospect from the 2021 recruiting cycle. Now I know what the perception versus reality is here. Anytime 
time a kid goes well past signing day, there's a stigma that's attached to them automatically. Uh, it's They're about the drama, spectacle, all about me, selfish, attention, you know what. This is none of those. So I want to just let you know what's happening. This has not been a drama-filled recruitment at all. Uh, this has not been a recruitment built on spectacle at all. This is not attention-seeking whatsoever. Tua Maloa plays his college, well, he plays high school football in Washington. He lives in Washington. Things have been shut down there. He couldn't get out to take official visits. And he was steadfast the entire time. I have options and I'm not going to be a guy who just takes Zoom visits and goes to Columbus, Ohio or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you know, two or 3,000 miles away from home, having never been there before. So, you know, in, in some ways, it is fortunate that he is so highly rated that schools are willing to save a spot for him. But because he is that, and that's the reality of the situation, he has said the whole time, I'm going to take my visits. And so now it's visit time. And this particular weekend, as we speak right now here on Sunday, he's at Washington. So that's obviously the closest to home. Now, that's uh, it was Friday, and that lasts through Sunday. And so then you're going to take a timeout. And this next weekend, this upcoming weekend, that's his high school graduation. Then it gets really crazy, okay? So if you're watching on YouTube, Jesse is showing you when the official visits are happening. And I want you to check this out. This is like watching the Eagles tour circa 1976. So he'll be in Los Angeles, the 14th through the 16th. Then he'll be in Columbus, Ohio, the 18th through the 20th. Then we're going to shoot from Columbus, Ohio, all the way to the West Coast. We'll be in Eugene, Oregon, same day. You're going to go straight from Ohio State to Oregon, the 20th through the 22nd. And then Bama gets the hammer. They get the last visit, the 25th through the 27th. And then we get, we would assume, an announcement shortly thereafter. Now, what we have talked about with this recruitment and many recruitments in the past is there's not a lot of information. I'm telling you guys, if you're just a casual viewer of this, this is not some kid who's running around to every live microphone doing an interview. It's not a guy who's, you know, very dramatic on all his social media channels. Very reserved, very quiet, hellacious player now. There's a reason he's the number one overall rated player in the country. And even though he's not an early enrollee, he's so good he could still play for a team like Ohio State or Alabama or Oregon this fall. He's that good now. Uh, we wouldn't be talking about him if he wasn't. But when I started that point about 30 seconds ago and got sidetracked, what I was going to say was in these recruitments, where it's high profile, but there's not a ton of new information leaking, it's a perfect storm for misinformation. Because the thirst for new information out there doesn't go away. It's just that there isn't a whole lot. Instead of a steady flow out of the hose pipe, maybe there's like one drip from the faucet you know, every couple of minutes, and that's not enough to quench thirst. So what happens is one person says one thing that's kind of informed, and because there's a lack of other information to be had elsewhere, everyone runs with that one thing. So I'm going to use an example here. This is not the way it actually happens, but let's just say, for example, Steve Wolfong or Brandon Huffman, those two guys are, you know, really locked in on this recruitment. Let's say that they came out and they said, I think Ohio State leads here. And let's say in reality, their information was a family member gave them that information but said, that's what we think. And, you know, that was a couple of months ago. But there's, since there's no new information, they say that, okay? Since there's no new information, everyone else runs with that. And all of a sudden, if you're just a casual observer, you're hearing from 52 different places, Ohio State leads for JTT. So you assume it's a foregone conclusion he's going to Ohio State. Well, you see quickly how that snowball of not misinformation, but, uh, you know, sort of a false pretense can grow. This happens in recruiting sometimes. The reason I'm saying all that 
And let me stress again, that was a hypothetical. The reason I'm stressing all that is because it has been perception for a little while that Ohio State was the leader here. I thought it, only because I hadn't tried to really dig deep on him. And I'm not telling you they're not the leader. What I'm telling you is, if you find anyone out there that's talking about this recruitment and they use the words done deal, you need to take those people and you need to jettison them from your life, at least when it comes to college football talk, because they don't know what they're talking about. This is the classic lottery ticket situation. Someone out there is going to guess the right lottery numbers tonight, and then they're going to tell all their buddies, I knew it. I just had a feeling. I knew it. No, you didn't. You just guessed right, and the law of mathematics happened to work in your favor this one time. Someone out there is going to claim they know where this kid's going, and he's going to end up going there having made the decision the night before he announces it, and that person, having made the statement two months ago, is going to say, called it, knew it, told you. This has been done for months. Let me, in as certain a terms as I can tell you, inform you, this is not done. There's a reason the visits are happening. This is not done. However, I do want to address this because I've heard it from a couple of places and these places are the mouths of people I trust. The perception has been this is Ohio State and if it's not Ohio State, it's probably Alabama. I think those two programs are in it. I think the Oregon Ducks are way more of a player for JTT than probably nationally people think. I know Oregon's been in it the whole time and geographically they're close, but I get a feeling that Oregon has been paid just passing mind by the general public. Oregon's way in this thing. And I'll tell you, I'll go out on a little limb here. If I were to handicap this thing, I'd put Bama as the favorite to land him. I'd put Oregon behind Bama. I'd put Ohio State third. So for what it's worth, having not claimed intimate insider knowledge, but just maybe picking up whispers here and there, let me put it that way, because I wouldn't be shocked at all if he went to Alabama. Wouldn't be shocked if he went to Oregon. I think those two programs are in really good position here. Buckeyes still get him on campus. They could turn this thing, so who in the world knows? But that's the latest on JTT. This is a very important recruitment to follow. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's been a really good show. I, uh, as I said, I'm going to head off to Oklahoma City for a couple of days. Looking forward to the Women's College World Series out there. I was telling Colin before the show, if you guys haven't been watching softball, you need to be watching it. That is my second favorite college sport behind college football, which surprises people every time I say it. There's no wasted motion in softball. I love it even more than baseball. There's no wasted motion. None whatsoever. It's just such a quick game until you get rain delays out in Oklahoma. So let's hope we don't have those this week. Uh, but at Lake Kick Josh, Instagram, Twitter, make sure you're following there. We're trying to grow those channels as quickly as possible. For Director Emeritus Colin Jesse and Company in Connecticut, I'm Josh Payton. Have a great start to your week. Thank you so much for watching and God bless. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.